Hello and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Native American artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Dwayne Wilcox, or Chuck as he's known to his friends. Dwayne is an enrolled member of the Oglala Lakota and has spent four years in the U.S. military. After his service, he focused his life on art. He's primarily known as a ledger artist. What makes Dwayne so interesting is his approach to his art. He has taken a style that is deeply connected to our experience with the disruption of the U.S. government on the Ocheti Shakowit and used what we call Indian humor to address issues of the day in a satirical take. It's intelligent in its content, subtle in its approach, and so funny in a biting way which I think is a very good way to describe Mr. Wilcox. So let's jump into this interview. Dwayne, hi, welcome to Five Playing Questions. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so we're, we're going to just jump into this. Um, would you be able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background and where you're from? Oh, I'm Dwayne Wilcox. Most of my friends call me Chuck. So it's usually uh, when somebody calls and asks for Dwayne, it's either business or bills. So that's the way I look at it. <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I grew up in Wombly on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, went to school there, grade school, high school there. Basically, after I got out of high school, I worked a few odd jobs here and there. And then I joined the service. I spent four years in the in the military and got a honorable discharge. And, and after I got out, well, I got married while I was in the service. And we, uh, my wife was a career military, so we traveled around uh, the country for geez twenty two years. And then uh, uh, when she retired out of the military, we moved back here to South Dakota. And uh, that's where I, I thought it was the strongest point for what it is that I do professionally for me to to build a career here. And that's kind of what I still continue to do. Hmm. What, what led you into the art world? Because uh, I think you're, you're very well known for your ledger art. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's a hard question because a lot of times I uh, I, I put point out different points where it, it became uh, I became aware of what it is and everything. Uh, uh, it, it had to be in the '60s, I think. Uh, my my grandpa told me about his uh, his dad going to Carlisle School, industrial school in Pennsylvania. And uh, he, he's the one that told me about, you know, the uh, line drawings. That's what he called them, you know, because I remember I had this, uh, the chief notebooks that they used to give you in grade school. And uh, it's practice your, uh, your alphabets, and, uh, your writing on your penmanship, I guess. Uh, hmm. But that was, uh, I, I drew on those and he said, uh, you know, they used to draw on those long, long time ago, you know. And, and so when he told me about, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, I never really put much thought into it then, but I always knew what it was. So it wasn't too much of a secret, I guess, that uh, there was some really well-established ledger art artists, you know, when I was in, in, in the 70s, you know, Don Montalo, everybody knows of his work, you know, so that wasn't very hard, but at the, uh, at the, uh, the Sioux Indian Museum here in Rapid when it used to be over on Omaha Street there. Uh, I remember going in there with my grandpa and uh, he would talk to this uh, this man there. It was uh, a Red Elk uh, in uh, Herman, Red Elk. He would talk to him, you know, they were about the same age. So I remember uh, him watching him do some painting on, on a hide that he was working on. And that just these little, little, little clips that stick in your head, you know, and, 
And I remember when I first started, uh, I, I really was um, tr not trying to reinvent the past. I wasn't trying to uh, tell a story from that perspective of time. I thought it was, I thought we go through a lot of struggles too. So <clears throat> I thought it was important to kind of put uh, a contemporary context into it, you know, whether it was a, a political view or uh, or just a humorous you know, story or something that really didn't mean much to anybody but myself and probably the person I was rendering in a you know comical way. But uh, I found out that my friends really reacted to those images better than the historical way that I was drawing them because the, those were my first sales pieces was more of a historical way. And they sold really good, you know, but it wasn't native people buying them. It was non-natives, you know. So uh, over the years, I decided that uh, I like to make, I like to see people have, you know, a good time and smile and, and reflect on something that they're familiar with, I, you know, that, that they could see just open the, their front window and look out and see what, you know, what uh, was really contemporary and cultural to them. So that's kind of what I, I focused on and still do. Um, I think that would be probably the best answer I could give on that. Cause it, uh, you know, going through uh, some of your, your images, um, it looks like there is that satire, uh, you know, Indian humor is, is what we grew up calling it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, you know, uh, that I think it was the first uh, time I went down to uh, Santa Fe because there's a lot more different uh, nations down there. You know, it's it's pro it's probably 300 nations there, and I was never exposed to that many before. But I remember the first time I put my drawings up, uh, my humor drawings. I remember native people just walking straight over to him and pointing at him and laughing, you know, <laughs> and, and to me, that was more than money. You know, it was like, uh, uh, I finally, uh, connected here, you know, that, uh, that something that somebody else didn't already do, you know, in that style, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess we all have, all have our own styles, but, you know, to put it, uh, uh, uh either a political uh, statement in that, context you know this the reversal of the outside world i guess and uh i like that uh that feeling that it gave me that uh that everybody could relate to it that grew up no matter what reservation or you know urban setting that they lived in and grew up in that they could relate to it so to me that was more satisfying than the financial part you had mentioned um you know uh being uh around uh like herman red elk and uh don donald monolo uh can you talk a little more about uh, some of your biggest influences over the years well that's the thing is is i always thought don was so famous i i didn't want to talk to him <laughs> i always stood back you know stood back and tried not to get in his way you know but to listen to him say something to somebody or talk to somebody, you know, he always was very dignified, you know, and I always thought to myself, that's kind of how I'd like to, uh, how I, I want to, you know, uh, display my work and talk about it also, you know, because uh, I think there's a responsibility we have in, in creating images that has that relationship to culture that it has to be formulated from somebody that's of, uh, uh, cognitive of, uh, their place in this world. And, um, Herman was that way too, you know, very, very dignified and classy, you know, that old style classy mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, young guys probably don't see now. Maybe they do, you know, but back in the sixties, there was a, I hate to say it, a whole different kind of generation you know, that was, mm. uh, that been through a lot, you know, probably way more than we ever could imagine that, uh, had that, you know, and, uh, I don't believe I possess that, you know, but, uh, at least I recognize it when I'm around it, I guess. 
Well, I think there's a, a certain dignity that so many carry with them. And I think that's recognizable to, to many of us who, who meet and interact with you all. Um, but I, I, I think I know what you're saying. I, whenever I see um, old clips of Oscar Howe, there's that sort of gentleman type of uh, uh, essence, I guess, to that, that formality. Yeah, um, one of my high school teachers was uh, Don Howe, and um, mm. that you know, and um, I'm pretty good friends with Craig Howe. So there's some Howes that I know. You know, I don't know if they're related to Don, but in a Lakota world, we're all related anyway. So, mm -hmm. uh, but Oscar was one of those people that the first time, first art book I ever seen at the Wombly Day School uh, was. Oscar Howe's, uh, some of Oscar Howe's work, you know, whether it was a calendar or some uh, uh, printed, uh, you know, paper that, because uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, it, was, it was all European, you know, most of the libraries on the reservation schools was European. So it was really cool to see native stuff like that, you know, but Oscar Howe was like a, uh, an icon that uh, that I, I I could only wish that I could be that good at what <laughs> what I did, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he was the uh, the formal layout of what it was, you know, uh, and what it still is. I mean, that's that's one of the fundamental foundation uh, mentors of our culture uh, of the art world that brought us to where we are today. Oh, I agree. I agree. And the, um, the summer program that he had back in the sixties created a generation of amazing artists like, like Don, um, uh, Robert Penn was another one yeah. of that generation. So, uh, can you talk a little bit how you've developed your career? Cause I know, um, I think things changed over time, how you approach things, uh, from early career to mid career. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the early early part of me starting, since I didn't have no uh, business influence in the art world and how it worked financially, how how do you maintain an uh, economic situation? You know, uh, all I knew was survival art from from when I was young. That uh, people used to come to. Uh, uh, the housing and business offices to sell barrettes, earrings, uh, medicine wheels, medallions, and things like that in the early 70s, you know. And uh, that was my only formula for business. So create something small and uh, that's uh, that doesn't take up a lot of space and also is economical enough to reach into one's pocket and pull out a $20 bill or a 10 or whatever that's there, you know. Because you're not going to get rich off of your first piece. And if you're thinking you're going to get rich, uh, that's not what this business is about. Or this 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 is not what it is. You know, uh, it's, it's either you love it and do it for your life, just for your mental health and everything. That's what you got to continue doing. So my early pieces were, were that expensive, but they also was not that... Uh, developed either so i knew that when uh, back then there was no internet or any way of promoting yourself you know just from your kitchen table to the art world and back then i didn't do indian art markets there was really not any to do you know so basically i started just by drawing you know pictures like more or less uh something really relevant to uh um the culture you know uh, more like a traditional sense uh, ledger drawing it's just uh, basic figures and stuff like that and, and I, they were only 15 to 20 dollars you know and uh, i could draw maybe 10 of those a day you know or 15 of those a day and and try to hit a, every place that would allow me to uh to sell them and so uh I remember we were living in South Carolina. My wife was stationed down there and I went to, uh, I was taking uh, art classes at the uh, University of South Carolina. And one of my, um, one of 
the people that I worked with, this man called named Harry Love, he was in a watercolor society and he did a lot of these art in the park things along the coast, you know, and, and he's, he's the one that I, he asked me if I would be interested in just bringing some pieces over to a, a market show that he had, you know, it just awnings and some backdrops and a table, you know, and, and he, cause he liked the drawings that I did. They were different than everybody, but I never knew how much I would have to explain my art because that is not the center of native art. You know, that was a different world altogether. And, uh, being in a watercolor society, it was a lot of, uh, Southern paintings, you know, of, uh, oak trees and, uh, it inlets and uh, sea oats, you know, it's very uh, geographical located style of art. And my, here, here I am showing up with dances, dancers and uh, female and male dancers from the plains, you know. Mm. So I had to learn real, real fast <laughs> to, to sell my work. And I didn't like being a salesman. So after a while, I just told them where I'm from, and this is kind of the traditional art form that I grew up with. So this is, you know, a, kind of a contemporary version of that. But the, the middle of my career, when the internet finally came along, um, I was able to find native art markets, and uh, and I started applying for those, you know. And I think the, the first one I did was uh, Northern Plains. And I remember uh, uh, my, my cousin, who was basically starting his art career about the same time, you know, and uh, we talked on the phone a few times and, and we both got accepted. And I remember he got accepted like a year or two before me. But when I got accepted, I thought, holy cow, this is cool because you had to take pictures of your work. And back then it was photographs. So uh, you sent the photographs in and uh, they replied by your your either accepted or not accepted. So that was kind of a, a, a way to get into the market world. But I found out in the market world, you have to create uh, pieces for competitions. And the competition factor really kind of, at the first, I really liked it. But then over the years, I, I thought, well, I don't want to just build a competition piece and work on one piece for, for months and then you know, try to win an award with it. And, uh, yeah, but that's the market world. You have to compete. So, you know, yeah, I won some and I lost some, you know, and I've been accepted at some and I got rejected at some. So I always keep my rejection letters to keep me, uh, to keep me grounded because, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you've never, you've done this isolated and alone and a lot of people don't realize that most artists work really by themselves. Maybe their family look over their shoulder from time to time. But sometimes these pictures and pieces are very personal to them. And imagine doing your work and having to display all your work that you've done in four months or something like that to the, to the general public and have them come by and give you a two-second comment, comment on it. Sometimes they were positive, sometimes they were negative, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the hardest part is you got to grow a thick skin because um, uh, being, um, you know, uh, judged on your abilities is is kind of kind of hurt your feelings sometimes when somebody comes by and gives it a rejection, and uh, that's the, that's the hard part, you know. But you learn over the years that uh, those, those uh, things don't, aren't important. The thing is, is to keep doing what the thing is that you do and, and that's what keeps you grounded and, and healthy mentally and physically. The money will come later. That's the thing is. It won't be a lot, but it will come. Be patient, you know. Uh, and if you win at one show, doesn't mean you're going to win at the next one. So you got to be prepare yourself to take the losses in stride, congratulate the winners, and go home and work harder. I think those are such great points. Um, I uh, I went to my first um, 
Northern Plains Indian Art Market, I think 96 or 97. And um, that, that was such an eye-opening experience for me, seeing all these Native artists in one spot. Because um, back then, it was it was a big exhibition. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a big market. 96, they lined up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think at the time, I was a student at USD. And so I was, uh, I was a volunteer and, um, yeah, that was, that was quite an experience. So many people. I met you there probably. <laughs> more, <laughs> more than likely. Yeah. I, um, at the time, uh, John Day was, I think part of that committee or something. Yeah. And, yeah. And he grabbed a few of us students from USD to, to come, uh, to volunteer for those, those, uh, few days. So, yeah. Yeah. So as time goes, goes on then, uh, can you talk about how you seek opportunities or how opportunities present themselves to you? You know, that's, uh, that's one of those things that come with, uh, uh, with perseverance. Uh, the opportunities will start coming and knocking and emailing and through the mail, uh, at you and uh, a lot of times it's for uh, uh, to raise money for a, a organization or donation or to get exposure and that's fun but you got to limit yourself to how much you want to lock yourself down too because uh, you could get overwhelmed with everybody coming at you especially if you're a young artist and if uh, you're really getting compliments by the uh by the big peers peers of the of the art world native art world you could get overwhelmed really easily and uh it becomes distracting for what you got to do to keep your financial part uh stable because a lot of times uh those opportunities are exposure only so in other words they want you to do a piece of work for uh for an organization for like postcards or something or advertisement for that that foundation or whatever and uh they they offer you probably a real minimal amount of money if any and a lot of times it's just the exposure part i started when i started this i said uh i just got to say yes to everything everything and uh i flooded myself uh doing that and uh I, I don't know where the uh, the level is that you got to say no, start saying no, because uh, you hate to say no to a native organization because a lot of times those are impactful things that help uh, where, you, where you're from and it's going to help an organization to, to build a, a stronger foundation for young people. So uh, to me, it was... Uh, something that I always try to say yes to as much as I can, but there's, there's limits too, because just recently I, 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 I was a recipient of the uh, governor's warden here in South Dakota um, two years ago. And uh, this year, well, just the other day, they sent me a text uh, stating that, you know, since I was a past recipient, uh, if I would be interested in, in uh, sending in 10 images that they could hang in commons areas in government, South Dakota government buildings in the state. And uh, I still haven't answered the text because I'm conflicted because uh, I don't carry uh, the same uh, political views as the uh, the governor, the title of the award, you know, and to me, I, to me, it's, it's not something that I'm interested in just on that aspect of alone, but that's a personal thing, you know, that's a political thing. So, uh, you're going to have those too. So, um, you know, I don't need the exposure uh, as much as that anymore, I guess. I, because in the old days, I would have, I would have just pressed on and, and gave them my best images. But I hate this, you know, I hate that, that feeling that, uh, 
a lot of native communities in South Dakota are struggling and uh, not getting the help they need through the political parties that are seated in our state, you know. But that's the only down aspect of that, that, you know, that's a personal thing. So um, that, that, you know, that's something I'm not totally agreeable with. It's, it's a tough position for an artist to be in, um, you know, because I think we're, uh, I think Jenny, Jenny White, uh, she said it, very, uh, she said it best. I think she said exposure will get you killed. Um, cause a lot of organizations, they, they try to, um, I think that they think they're doing the right thing. Uh, when they, when they ask for artwork, you know, exchange for, um, exposure to the artist, but you know, this is what artists do. It's, it's a, it's, I don't want to say craft because craft isn't yeah. quite the right word, yeah. but you know, it's a way, it's a means of living. Um, it's what we do. And I think, and I personally feel that artists need to be paid for their work. And I think if an organization um, wants to work with an artist, they, they need to find some way to be able to compensate them in a respectful way. Yeah. Jennifer, and, Jennifer's a young artist. I remember when I was her age, Oh, I was straight out, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was, you know, a lot of times I stepped on my own tongue sometimes because I didn't know who the power players were. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I wish, you know, Jennifer's cool, cool woman. And I, she's just, oh, yeah. When she first started, uh, I walked up to her booth and looked around, and uh, she was so worried because this was her first show. And I remember she won an award. <laughs> at this show and tears came down and it moved me. It it reminded me of why I was doing this because that passion for your work and to be it, it to be accepted. That's, that's the reward right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that I wish you could have that throughout your whole art career, that sensation. Uh, but, uh, you know, we do shows repetitively, and uh, a lot of times it turns it, it turns into work, and mm-hmm. uh, you're you're prepa- you're preparing all the time six months ahead for the next venue, and uh, you lose track of that sometimes. You know, you don't lose track of it while you're doing your art. That's the easiest part: just sitting down, painting, drawing, <laughs> beating, quilling, whatever it is. That's the fun part. But have yeah. having to take it out into public, display it and show it to the public is uh it's always has that first day of school feeling you know it kind of kind of like ah especially if you see another artist who is so well renowned come walking by (laughs) and and you you wish they wouldn't look over at your staff (laughs) because they know how to do it right you know and you're you're still fighting your way through it and I hate to say that, but I never felt that I've done my best work yet. You know, uh, that's the thing uh, in, inside of me that uh, I could always do better. I could always do better. You know, uh, I keep saying that mentally that uh, uh, that uh, I'm not trying to get a hook or, you know, some latch to uh, refine and say, this is how it works. And now I'm going to just stick with that you know, Hmm, hmm. because I do a lot of uh, different types of work, too. I do three-dimensional and painting and ledger stuff, but the ledger stuff has always been my my favorite, you know, because I always thought it was the most honest. Yeah, I... Yeah, that that resonates. Um, I did my first... uh, my first show here this last year. Um, I'm a storyboard artist by trade yeah. uh, when I'm now at the museum. And so I generally don't show my work and uh, I did some illustrations and um, I did a show and I, I know exactly how you feel. I, I wasn't ready to be that nervous and feel that exposed when people would walk by. <laughs> so, yeah, 
the first time you get your own exhibit is the real uh, buster, you know. Um, a lot of kids that come out of grad school and stuff have to have that while they're still in college, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, to us, us folk artists, uh, us, you know, that never went to any art school or self-taught, however they want to put it, you know, uh, we work for a long time before we ever get to that point. You know, we're in it for 15 years, probably before we get, you know, asked to do an exhibit. And uh, that is uh, a new a, a whole new animal in itself <laughs> because mm -hmm. you have to fill a room up with uh, a, a concept uh, of that all being a collective piece of work, you know, that uh, that works off of each piece, you know. So for me, that was a hard, that was hard because I'm kind of abstract, you know, I do this, and I do that and you know, it doesn't all work together. So uh, hard, it was hard, difficult to put those first first exhibits together. I've been part of exhibits that, you know, other artists, which were way more fun because then I could hide in the back of the room. <laughs> <laughs> where where was uh, your first exhibits? Geez, there's been so many. I can't remember the first. That's that's <laughs> terrible. You know, you should remember that. But uh, uh, the um, the Dolphine Arts here graphic was one of them, uh, and I think it was called uh, Cut and Paste. Uh, you know, you get to title your own exhibit, and that was mm -hmm. a poor title for it because uh, I had textiles in it. I had uh, three dimensional paper sculptures. I had ledger art in it. I had some paintings in it. And I even, uh, yeah, that, that about covered it. But uh, as, as a collective, it was, uh, I didn't know what to do with it, how to move it to another exhibit post. And plus I had to borrow pieces from past collectors to put into the exhibit. And um, that was that's another thing that new artists need to know is keep a inventorial, inventory history on where your pieces go. Uh, it's always good to get to a point in your art career where you might want to uh, kind of cherry pick your work to do an exhibit of your, uh, you know, of your art career, you know, up to that point where you're, where you're at. And uh, I really was a bad paper keeper, a bad exhibitor and everything. I forgot to take pictures of pieces that I sold and I didn't know where they went over the over the first 10 years you know and mm. I, the pieces that i had photographs of were really bad because that all evolved too because when i first started like i told you that you took you know just regular photographs then those photographs turned into 35 millimeter slides or are those uh the bigger slides the two and a half inch slides um and then they went to digital and then after they went to digital, it started getting more complex because then they want, uh, uh, you know, the pixel rating to be, you know, at a certain, certain size. So when they do yeah. look, look through them, they can look through the pieces all basically the same size. So mm -hmm. I had mm -hmm. to learn that from the beginning, most kids that are getting, graduated from college now, I've had that since grade school. So it's nothing to them, you know, they never had to, you know, to do that on your own without an instructor looking over your, your shoulder or giving you a test on it. So, and a lot of times you, the programs I used, I've done this so many years, the programs I used were outdated and I hated to learn new ones. <laughs> I just hated to learn new ones because it was so complex and frustrating. And I, and I felt like I was doing, the more my career progressed, I was doing more office work than actual art time. You know, my art <laughs> time was shrinking. My desk time was growing. So, and writing about your work for a folk artist, that was hard, you know, for a self-taught artist, you know, uh, because in, in college you have to do essays all the time, you know, and, and uh, they want you to do a, thousand words you know on your on your work you know <clears throat> that was difficult to 
first put it in cultural form of, you know, and then put it in the, uh, in the mass EDU form, you know. Uh, so uh, for me, that was difficult, you know, because I never thought I'd have to write another essay after I left high school, you know. <laughs> Turns out I had to write a lot of essays. Plus, I had to write about other artists. I was asked to write about other exhibits, and that was hard. One of my first uh, writing things I had to write, uh, it was uh, Keith Braveheart, and jeez, uh, about six IA graduates had an exhibit, and they asked me, they didn't, but the, you know, the institution asked me to write, you know, something like in 500 words about the, uh, the show. Uh, that was easy, though, to write about them. But to write about yourself, very difficult. So what would you want to say to an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old that's uh, looking at starting uh, in this, this art world? Find the best art college that you fundamentally believe that's going to culturally inspire you. Uh, IA is one of them. I think uh, there's a lot of diversity. You're going to learn a lot of different methods and techniques. Even do a lot of techniques that you've never done before, pottery, silver, and stuff like this. Uh, it's going to open your eyes a lot more than uh, having to learn it on your own. The school, homeschool of hard knocks is really difficult. And anytime I wanted to learn something new, I had to go and go to a, find a place where I could find one class where I could take it, you know, it, that's not the way to do it. Uh, get your degree as fast as you can and get right into it because uh, time's clicking and there's, there's no, you know, it's, it's all about the work itself. It's gotta be uh, your personal, your personal passion to enlighten people with what you have to share. Dwayne, you've been so generous with your time. I, I thank you. Where, where can our listener find, find your work? Uh, are you on social media? Do you have a, a website? Uh, how can they, how can they find you? See, here's the thing. My website, uh, my webmaster allowed my uh, domain name to expire and some guy from Taiwan bought it and he wants me to pay $1,200 for my whole domain <laughs> when I paid like 35 for it 20 years ago. So I said, just keep it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm pretty well established. If somebody wants to find me, they're going to find me. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, it's uh, longevity. Uh, it's the longer you're in this business, the, the more people that have connections to you, there's always a way to c catch a hold of you. But, um, you know, I, I have enough p pieces on the, uh, just, you know, Google my name and you find, you know, stuff. A lot of it, the stuff I'm not that proud of, it's not my best, but it's some of it, you know, but, you know, I'm kind of old school, just, you know, just contact me at my house. Everybody could find you nowadays. Uh, but if I was a young artist, I would establish a, uh, a domain name and keep that website up and be able to sell from that website. You got to be able to uh, make it through the winters. The winters are difficult because the art markets close at, after most of the time uh, into September and they don't really reopen until early spring, you know. So that was always the time that I would work on my uh, inventory, you know, or work on something that I didn't really uh, have time for through the summer months, you know, that I could uh, make something else rather than just the same thing repeatedly. Because I think it's uh, important to do as many things in, in your head as you as you want to make you know don't sit down and say well someday i'm going to paint that or i'm going to make that just do it when you have those those few months inside to work and just get as much work done as you can 
that's that's the only advice that I, I could probably give that would save you the most time during the hustle season. The hustle season is if you do markets, because the markets start rolling back to back in the summertime and you have to have your booth fees set up. You have to have your hotel rooms ready and you have to have your travel money to get there. There's a lot of things that a lot of people don't see that artists have to uh, do for themselves and a lot of times they have to do it alone you know they don't have an organization to help them uh, be able to do that so there's survival art which I talked about building or talked about building my career and sometimes you have to have what they call bread and butter work which in other words it's your lowest uh, purchasable pieces that you could repeat the process quickly and move them. But you should also put a lot of time into your your most profound work that you want to make a statement with or a connection to your to your uh, culture. Dwayne, thank you so much for this. This is wonderful. Yeah, Joe, that was pretty cool. Uh, I didn't think I'd be talking about myself today, but <laughs> I like talking about other people. <laughs> They're way more fun to brag on. Yeah. It's like, but the most best part I like about being an artist, it's like, you know, the markets, I don't care too much for like making a market piece. That's kind of boring because you kind of know the system of how to win an award. You just got to build up your, your, you know, your, your tolerance to that. The thing that's really cool is being able to go up and talk to uh, some of my, some of the people I admired the most for a lot of years, like George Flint, ledger artist, passed away, Cheyenne guy. Mm-hmm. I got to go up and hang out with him at uh, at Indian Market. He had this little booth across from the coffee shop. And I remember the first time I walked, I, I had time to get away from my booth so I could go to the bathroom since I've been up since three o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I went and got coffee and I walked through this little gateway thing and, and, uh, and the first booth there was, it was ledger art. And I, and I looked at it, went, Oh my God, that's George Flett's art. <laughs> so I was like, and he's standing there alone by himself in the shade and it's like a hundred degrees up. So I walked over and I introduced myself, you know, I didn't tell, well, he probably seen the thing around my neck, the little badge number, you know, my booth. So we stood there talking, you know, and he talked about rodeo. And I and uh, I asked him about certain cowboys, and he, my brother was a cowboy. So, you know, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I rode with Howard and those guys, you know. And it's like, wow, cool, you know. So uh, we stood and talked about rodeos. And, you know, uh, some of them were just bad, bad reservation rodeos. It was really <laughs> just wild livestock out of the badlands. <laughs> wasn't much buckers, just run away. <laughs> So, you know, that was a cool conversation. Then I realized, ah, crap, I got to get back to my booth. (laughs) I was was gone for like 45 minutes. And this is when volunteers would ask you if, you know, you need a bathroom break or lunch break, you know. And so usually you try to hurry up and do that so you could get right back to work, you know, because you only work, you know, two days. So you got to go back to sell, you know, so. I remember, you know, that was like my first year uh, down at Indian Market and I got to talk mm. to George and then some of my neighbors, you know, were from different different nations. So I got to learn stuff about them. And after a while, I found out they were really famous. <laughs> and I was like, holy, <laughs> holy moly, here I am uh, over there just joking around with them all weekend, you know, and uh, <laughs> making fun of people with, you know, shorts and hats and <laughs> <laughs> our boots and skirts or boots and shorts because they dress weird down south. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that was that became the funnest part because over the years, you know, you grew to have these friendships with uh, other artists that, that uh, it, it just enlightens you. It, it inspires you. You come home and you feel just like you got a buzz that doesn't go away for like seven days. It's like after Sundance, you know. It's mm. like uh, you got those whistles in your head for like a week. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah. everything that goes thump, thump, you kind of, yeah. That's 
<laughs> you know, you kind of have that spiritual high that uh, it makes you feel good inside that you're connected with so many people that have that same energy, you know, and that do the same professional thing as you, which we're, it's weird because they're your competitors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Daryl Growing Thunder, you know, really admire that young guy. You know, he's a ledger artist too, you know, and, hmm. and uh, there's, uh, there's some young people out there. They just, they just, they just awesome when they come out, you know, Michaela Patton, you know, just, just does awesome yep. work, you know, and uh, Jennifer, you know, I've known her since uh, she started, you know, and she's just a cool lady, that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I wish people more the success that they deserve because a lot of times they're they're taking their heart out to show it to people, you know, mm -hmm. and that's hard to do with any job in the world. You know, it's you're you're showing yourself totally and fully. I think the hardest show I ever did was locally. Uh, I did a show here in Rap Rapid when they used to have the powwow in the summertime, and a lot of my cousins and friends walked by and looked at my work. And that, that was the hardest critiques I ever had. <laughs> Legs are too skinny, belly's not big enough. To... <laughs> like, oh man, what's wrong with your horses? They sick. <laughs> <laughs> Your buffalo look like sheep. <laughs> you know, yeah, I got a kick on that, you know, after, you know, it's like, that was way different than any market show I'd done. I said, and that ain't right, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it humbles you, you know. I never think, never think that you believe all the stuff that's written about you, you know. Don't let that go to your head. Because uh, that's why I keep my rejection letters, you know, to say, yeah, I eat that good. They told me no. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the finest institutions in the land said no. <laughs> but yeah, they... oh, go ahead. there's one thing, Joe. I have a book coming out and it's uh, it's it's called Visual Language and it's coming out in the spring of 2021 and it's a uh, it's a book that uh, basically it's it covers some of the uh, my my time growing up you know some of the some of the some of the sad stories some of the happy stories you know it talks about suicide sexual abuse uh, alcohol you know um, all all the negative factors but don't let that depress you because there are some uh, promising things in there, you know, that, uh, I think, I think it's for a, a book that has art in it. I think it has something to say about us that we're resilient and, uh, we're going to be here for a long time. And that's, that's my point of that book that, yeah, we may be getting knocked down a little bit, but we we'll get there. I think that's a story that a lot of people can relate to. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, we will, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, when that becomes available. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be through the, uh, TPT, uh, uh, publishing George, Th GTP, uh, George Thompson publishing. GTP. Uh, yeah. And he's, a, that's the publishing company that, uh, published the book, Mini Wichoni. And I have a few pieces in that book too. And it just won a whole, uh, uh, some award. I can't, I don't know a lot of publishing awards, so mm. it, but mm. it won something. And one more time, what was the name of the, the book that's coming out? Uh, Visual Language. Visual Language by GTP. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, then, sir. We'll let you, let you get on with your day. Doksha, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Doksha. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Dwayne or Chuck again uh, for his time and sharing his story with us. Uh, speaking with him is always, it, it feels like talking to family. It feels like uh, home when I speak with him. And I think a lot of uh, people who know him uh, feel this way. So thank you for this. It was, it was such a pleasure. 
More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. And on the programming notes, uh, we're, we're going to do a shift uh, next week and for the next uh, few weeks. Up until now, for the last several months, we've appropriately been focusing on artists and curators and art administrators who all are, of course, the, the core of what this podcast is all about. But we're going to be focusing on the medical field for the next few weeks. And before before you uh, decide to skip and come back in a few weeks uh, to listen to more artists, um, a lot of these uh, physicians, they're, they're young physicians for the most part. They're they're in their residencies, they're finishing med school. They come from the same households as a lot of these artists. And I think it's so interesting listening to what they have to say. Um, and these next few weeks are of as powerful of stories as I've heard in this podcast so far. And so I, I really encourage you to come back and listen to, to some of these stories. Um, these are individuals that are coming out of the University of North Dakota, the medical school up there, uh, that has the InMed program, Indians into Medicine. And um, powerful stories, uh, riveting, riveting examples of, of where we come from, uh, from the different reservations. Yet we have this, this story uh, that's worth your time listening to. So I, I hope you join us next week. Uh, I'm very excited about this. And yeah, so I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at our plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and soon uh, some other podcast platforms. I always have a problem saying that, podcast platforms. Um, so yeah, we also have another supporter that I can't talk about yet, uh, but that's coming up soon, and I'm pretty excited about that. So... And always, if you have a suggestion for someone, uh, please send that to me uh, through Facebook. I would love to hear from you. I've gotten a few over the past few weeks, and um, it's really exciting uh, hearing about new people that are coming up. So yeah, so take care, be safe. Uh, you know, we're we're still in very dangerous times, and the numbers are rising for this COVID nineteen. So take precautions, protect your elders and your family, and yeah, and we will see you next week. <laughs>